Well, welcome to Preacher Lab. It is the week of Sunday, October 24th, 2021. And I get the chance to talk with my friend, Chris Jones, who is a pastor. Um, we went to seminary together. And uh, Chris, so glad to have you here with us. Thank you, Will. It's good to be with you. So first question, I guess, is as we talk about this week, um, what are you preaching on this week? Where are you headed? Where are we going this week? Well, um, more recently at Asbury, we've been in a sermon series called Mythbusters, um, Lies We Tell Ourselves About the Church. And so in these messages, we're taking our inspiration from the TV show Mythbusters, which was um, on TV for almost 20 years. It was actually, um, I think it started in 2003. It was taken off the air in 2016. And then it was put back on the air for another two years because people liked it so much and they wanted it back. Um, So it was on the air for a long time. And on that show, the hosts would um, take myths and then in a controlled environment, bust the myths in order to find out the truth. Um, Like, for example, there was a myth that they busted, you know, in the movie Titanic when Rose and Jack are in the ocean. Um, Is it possible that the two of them could have actually survived on that on that broken door? And the uh, so what the hosts do on that TV show is they actually. They, they recreated that scene and they found out that it was actually possible if they had taken their life jackets off and put them under the door and that would have given the door more buoyancy to, to have both of them stay afloat. But anyway, that's an example of what they do on that TV show. So what I wanted to do in the series was bust lies that we as Christ followers tell ourselves about the church. Um, and so I, I reminded the congregation that there is one big difference between the sermon series and uh, the TV show Mythbusters, and that is on the TV show, we don't know if the myths are actually myths until the hosts perform the experiments. But in the sermon series, we already know going into it that these statements about the church are lies, and the goal is to use the Bible to demonstrate why they're lies. And so the, the three lies that we're busting in the series are, um, I don't need the church, the church is about me, and it's enough just to go to church. I don't need the church. The church is about me, and it's enough just to go to church. So, um, so far, we busted the first two lies. I don't need the church, and the church is about me. And this Sunday, as we close out the series, we're going to be busting the lie. It's enough just to go to church. This idea that it's enough for me as a Christian to go to a worship service once a week and then go home as if nothing is different about my life, that that's what God expects from me. And of course, according to scripture, God wants a whole lot more. Uh, You know, we're disciples, we're followers of Jesus. We're called to to pick up the cross and to follow Christ and to um, partner with God by his grace in what God is doing to transform this world. What a great, what a great tie-in to so many people have seen Mythbusters, but how how do you you tie that in so well that, hey, these are some of the myths that we think of um, about the church. It's a, yeah, that's a great tie-in. And those are just the ones that immediately came to mind uh, for me. I'm sure there are other ones out there. Um, so it's a, it's a short series. Um, and what I tried to do in this series was focus on the lies that plague American Christianity in particular. Um, you know, because this is our context, right? We're Christ followers. Here we are in the 21st century in America. And yet there's this idea like, well, you know, the church is optional, right? It's it's take it or leave it, or I can be a Christian apart from the church. Um, or, you know, with the second line that we busted, the church is about me. 
how consumerism has plagued the church and affected the church so much that we think that the church is is built around our preferences and what we want, the music we want, the sermon link that we want, the topics that we want, the programs that we want. And we forget that it's really about the mission of making disciples of Jesus and God transforming us and and calling us to partner with God in the redemption of of the world. Yeah. 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 So what what were those just the first three that came to your mind or was were you how did you come up with this series I guess? I actually um so I, I did a similar series when I was in my last appointment at Community of Faith. So what I've been doing is as I've been getting to know Asbury is I've been um you know, kind of getting a sense of the congregation and what are some topics that we have to talk about. And so um, I always like to do a series on the church once a year, at least. And especially in the season where we're beginning to open up more um, and people are coming back on campus. And, and you know, with this whole COVID season too, people have started to, to rethink the church, right? Like, okay, I, I went to church less maybe, um, during COVID, or I attended worship less. Maybe I attended online, or maybe I just kind of got out of the routine. It's hard for me to get back into the routine of going. Um, is it is it still important? Is it still relevant? So that's why I felt the need to redo this series and to do it here. I've changed, obviously, some of the approaches that I did last time. You know, every setting is unique. Um, but when I last did the series, um, from what I recall, I, I think I had come up with some of the different lies that I, I had bounced some of the ideas off of um, like my covenant group and I asked them to contribute. What are some lies that we tell ourselves about the church? And then I was in a worship planning meeting and we were having a hard time figuring out what to call the series. And somebody said, well, you know, we hear, we hear fake news a lot. And I said, well, <laughs> I, I don't want to go there. Um, and then somebody, somebody said, well, what about Mythbusters? And I thought, wow, that's, that's really good. And so it kind of just evolved from there. Um, and to be honest, I was never really a huge fan of Mythbusters, the TV show. I've never been much of a science guy, but you know, from from the episodes I've seen, it is certainly engaging and interesting, and I just love the way that it fits with uh, with what we've been trying to do in the series. Yeah, yeah. So when you think, so you say you preach on the church once, try to preach that once a year. Do you have like four or five things that you kind of say, okay, I want to have a series on? this and this and this what do you have like an overarching like yearly plan of what you want to preach on yeah um like for example normally when it's um uh just after christmas um when we're back into the the new year holiday uh, or the start of the new year and then just after easter i always try to do a series that answers questions that people have um you, you know things that they're wrestling with and i try to introduce that um on Christmas Eve and then on Easter Sunday, like, hey, come join us next time because we're starting this new sermon series. So um, this last January, I did a series on faith and doubt um, because faith and doubt is always something that's kind of been a struggle of mine. You know, when I was in high school, I I wrestled with my faith and I wondered, um, you know, is there really validity to the Christian story? And that was a big struggle for me. And I so I tried to address all those um Questions that people have, like in the series, um, we looked at what is the relationship between faith and doubt? Um, you know, if God wants a relationship with us, why doesn't God make himself more obvious to us? Um, can doubt ever go bad? Can doubt ever spoil? Is there a good doubt? Um, and then 
Why be a Christian? Even with all your doubts, why still give yourself to, to Christ? So that's an example of a series um, after after Christmas or after Easter, something kind of enticing, intriguing. Um, I normally try to do a few Bible series every year. So, you know, specifically looking at Scripture itself, we did a series on Ruth. We did this other series called um, Creation to New Creation, looking at the you know, big picture of Scripture. Um, fall, we always do a stewardship series. And then normally during Lent, I like to do a series focused on the life of Christ. And then during Advent, um, Advent's kind of different every year. Um, this, this coming Advent in a few weeks, we're doing a series called The Gospel and Scrooge. So looking at gospel themes within the Ebenezer Scrooge story. So um, I like you, Will, I love preaching. I think that preaching, um, when it's done well, by the grace of God, it has the power to really change people and to alter their stories. And I think that it's something that we as ministers should take really seriously because, um, in fact, I remember Sue Harper Johnson, um, who's now bishop, um, some years ago, some years ago, when she was my district superintendent, I was in a clergy meeting, and you know she made this comment, something to the effect of, "We've only got our folks on Sunday morning, maybe Wednesday night too if we're really lucky, but for the most part, we've only got them on Sunday morning. So you got to make Sunday morning count." And that really stuck with me. That's true. And for some folks, um, it's not even you know Sunday morning every week. Sometimes it's once a month or once every two weeks or so you really got to make it count because throughout the rest of the week they're being bombarded with the culture and other messages that they're hearing um and so on sunday morning we gather and we hear the truth of scripture and this message that god loves us that god has a plan and a purpose for our lives and that god wants to use us um and the redemption of this world that we get to partner with god and and what god is doing and how awesome that is yeah, yeah, that's really that's really helpful to kind of you know focus on. I heard it. I heard it once said that it's almost like you have fifty-two Sundays, and how do you make them like small, like big events every fifty-two, like every week? Like look at them as separate kind of events, or if you have three events together, like a series, um, because it is a key part of of somebody's walk in faith. Um, whether mm-hmm. whether they watched online, whether they're there in person, it's a key part in. Um, you have 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I mean, if you guys if you preach 40 minutes or 50 minutes, you spend that much time. But <laughs> I try not to do that. <laughs> but you have that time where people are at, they're choosing to listen to you. Um, and they they could do anything else. They could be watching anybody right. else online, but they could they they've taken their time to listen to you. Um, and that's why it's really important. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so we just we had this amazing opportunity. God has given to us. Um, you know, I mentioned Sue Harper Johnson. I'm also reminded of something Will Willimon said that with Sunday worship, there's no other opportunity we have as, as clergy to influence as many people in the same way at the same time. There just isn't. I mean, other than Sunday worship, I mean, you have the collective body there together um, in person on the internet. All right, so we've got about an hour. Uh, we're going to have some music and we're going to have a message and some other elements too. Let's really take advantage of this short amount of time. You know, one hour out of 168 hours in the week, it really isn't that much. So let's let's use it in such a way that um, that God is glorified and and the gospel message is proclaimed in word and in song. Yeah, oh, that's great. So when you think about your sermon this week, so we're in we're in the fall. 
you're talking about your your sermon ideas on the church. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the structure that we're at. When you think about this sermon in particular, how, how have you? How, what's the process of you crafting this sermon? Obviously, it's a part of a, a three week study. But what, what's the process of you working on this? Um, well, looking at commentaries, of course, ties into that, um, and just kind of um, bouncing ideas off of other people. You know, asking for their input. Um, you know, reading books. Um, and so the topic for this weekend is it's enough just to go to church. That's the lie that we're busting. And the text that I'm using to bust this lie is from Matthew 16, the first time the word church is used um, from Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus um, has the disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and he's, you know, asked them the question, who do people say that I am? And they give all these answers. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, um, you know, you are you are Jesus, uh, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you know, blessed are you, um, for flesh and blood haven't shown this to you, but my Father in heaven. And you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if we don't pay attention to the setting in which Jesus says those words, we miss the purpose of the of what he's really doing there. Jesus brought the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, which of course was in the northern part of Galilee. And he brought them to a place that was actually called the gates of hell or the gates of Haiti. Um, Caesarea Philippi was a hub for the worship of false gods. And there was a Greek god called Pan. um, And people would make sacrifices to Pan at the temple. And his temple was located in front of a cave, my understanding is, that was called the gates of hell or the gates of Hades because the water in the cave ran so deep that it was thought to be an entrance into the underworld. And before sacrifices to Pan were made there, uh, before that, uh, sacrifices to Baal were made there uh, back in the Old Testament period. And so, you know, Jesus brings the disciples and he's basically saying, listen, um, my church is going to be the kind of community where it's going to be on the move. It's going to go to places like Caesarea Philippi where people don't know me, who don't have a relationship with me, and you're going to go in there and you're going to announce the good news that I have come to redeem and to save and to transform lives. So this idea that the church is is a community that's on the move, going to these places and and, and sharing the love of God, going to the people that, that the church isn't reaching, right? And that's what Wesley did as he and the Methodist movement got started in the 1700s, going out into the fields and field preaching, um, going to the people that, that nobody else is going to and reminding them that they are children of God and they are people of worth and value. And then in Jesus, God wants to give them new life. Um, so that's kind of the, the direction I'm going in. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to talk a bit about how instead of being a movement, a lot of times what happens with local churches is we become museums. Not movements, but museums, right? A museum is um, a place where it, it's like a it's like a like a shrine to the past, right? Or it's locked into a certain period of time. And a lot of local churches have become that, where they're locked into the way things were a generation ago, and and they're only focused on themselves, and they've forgotten about the people outside their doors who don't know Christ and um, whom God is calling them to reach. Yeah. So you, so you have all these, I mean, the sermons I've heard you preach, um, you have this history piece behind it, some, whether it be from commentaries, whether it be from books, 
you've, you've obviously done that work earlier in the week or earlier in the last two weeks or three weeks to prepare for the ser- series. So you've done the commentary piece and you've probably, I'm guessing you've picked out the text for each of them. So today we're recording this on Wednesday. So what is, right. what is the rest of the week? Cause you've got, it sounds like you have this, this kind of these bullet points of where you're headed um, and stories that you want to add, but what is, what is a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday look like? And then even Sunday morning as you're getting ready to preach. Yeah. So I have kind of an interesting process for preparing sermons. Um, I'm not, I've never been since the last 10 years I've been in ministry. I've never started a sermon on a Saturday. I think that would give me an ulcer. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I, I remember when I was in college, I would get my syllabus at the beginning of the semester. Okay. I've got an exam on this date and this date. You know, so here's what I need to start studying. And that's just kind of how I'm wired, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so normally what I do is um, on Monday morning, I begin the process of of crafting my introduction to the sermon. And I normally want to finish that by Monday morning, um, by about noontime. So that way it frees me up to do other things like, okay, something happened over the weekend that has to be addressed. Maybe there's a pastoral care issue or, you know, meetings or whatever. So that's Monday morning. Is crafting so, you, so, so you start with the introduction. I start with the introduction. Yeah. Because what I like to do is I like to build tension, right? Like here's because, and I, Charlie Reeve actually brought this out one time. He said that it's in his opinion, right? In his estimation. And I would agree that instead of starting with scripture, we start with what the issue is, right? Um, Here's what's going on. There's this notion that it's enough for us just to go to church. This is how our culture puts forward this notion. How does the scripture answer this? So instead of starting with the answer, you create the tension, you you create the question, and then you see how scripture answers that question or that tension. Um, And Jesus did this too. I mean, when you think about it, right? Um, It says in Luke 15 that, that, all these tax collectors were coming by to listen to Jesus and to be with him and he would eat with them. And they would say, well, come on, this guy welcomes sinners and eats with them. So there's the issue, the tension. And then what does Jesus do? He addresses the tension by giving stories. And one of those stories, of course, was the story of the prodigal son. There was a man who had two sons and et cetera, et cetera. So that's my philosophy is to, um, so that's what I do on Mondays is I, I begin with that introduction. I try to create the tension and then on Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm doing a lot of the exegesis. Um, how, how does scripture address this? And then along with that, what I try to do is put together illustrations um, that that illustrate, um, demonstrate the theological point that I'm trying to make. Because I've always, you know, um, really firmly believed that illustrations are an important part of preaching. Because you can't just tell people what it is. You have to show them what it looks like on the ground. What is, what is, you know, like when you're talking about um, churches become museums instead of movements. Well, what do you mean by that, right? And so an example that I'm sharing on Sunday is a story that I read from Fred Craddock. When he had finished seminary, he was sent to pastor a church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And he was a young man and probably in his 20s or so. And the community around the church was growing. And it was primarily growing with a bunch of construction workers who had been sent to that area to build the infrastructure. And so Craddock called a meeting of his church leaders and said, hey, listen, this community is growing. We've got these construction workers. we got to do something to reach them. 
And a lot of his leadership began to balk. And they said, come on, that's a waste of time. They're only going to be here temporarily. We don't want to put out all our resources trying to reach them. And then Craddock was really frustrated and disappointed. And he said, tell you what, can we all pray about this? And the next week we'll have another meeting and, and see where this goes. So the next Sunday morning they had worship and then they had a meeting afterwards. And before Craddock could even say anything, there was a gentleman who raised his hand and he said, I move that in order to be a member of this church, you have to own property in this county. So that way you're not focusing on anybody who's transient, who might be here and then gone. You have to own property. And suddenly it was seconded and then everybody voted for it and it was passed. And Craddock was just very discouraged. And then short time later, I, I think he got a, um, he was asked to be a professor somewhere. So he began to teach. And then years later, he and his wife were driving in that area. And he said, listen, why don't we stop by and see how that church is doing? And they couldn't help themselves. So they drove by and there were all of these cars in the parking lot. But it wasn't because the church, it was because the church had been transformed into a barbecue restaurant. Oh, wow. And they walked inside the barbecue restaurant and um, it was really diverse, just all kinds of people. And Craddock said to his wife, you know, it's a really good thing that this place isn't a church anymore because otherwise these people wouldn't be welcomed here. And, you know, that's an example, right? Yeah. Of a church that is no longer a movement, but a museum. And eventually what happened was the folks who were there, they ended up passing away. They never brought in new folks and the church died. Um, and, and the sad thing is, how many times does that happen? So going back to illustrations, though, a story like that really helps to capture the point, right, that you're, that you're trying to drive home. Um, and so I think that um, illustrative preaching is really important. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's what a great, what a great story to tie in why, why the church matters and what happens when you don't do church well. Um, yeah, yeah. So we got, so we got Monday, you've got the intro. Tuesday, Wednesday, you work on your exegesis, you find illustrations, you read books, um, you think about those stories that you've had. Then what happens Thursday? Thursday, I'm trying to put put it all together, put the finishing touches on it. Um, I'm also a big fan of using slides when I preach. And so I put slides into ProPresenter and I share those with the congregation, pictures. Um, I learned this from Andy Stanley. I think he does this really well. Um, as he's preaching, he'll put something up on a screen. That way people see it and it just, it hits them home in a, in a different way. Um, so my goal is to be done with all of that by Thursday. Sometimes I am. Um, and on occasions when I'm not, I'll finish it up on Friday morning. And then also what I normally do on Friday morning is I'll wake up around 6 a.m. And I'll, um, I write a manuscript. I just, it's always been my style. So I'll look at about the first third of the manuscript and spend about an hour with it and kind of, you know, internalize it. And then that frees up the rest of my Friday. I can do things with my family, not have to worry about it. And then on Saturday morning, I'll wake up and, and uh, internalize the rest of the sermon. It takes me about maybe an hour and a half or so. And then again, it frees up the rest of my Saturday so I can do other things. And um, that way the message is all taken care of, right? It's it's internalized. It's It's in my... It's in my my being, my heart, um, and it's ready to be preached. And then I'll run up to the church normally, the church building on Saturday night, 
and I'll run through it um, in this space. I, I've just always done that um, since I started in ministry. So when you, so for, and then Sunday morning, do you practice at all or do you just? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Normally I, we don't, our first service is at 930. So I usually get around 7 a.m. And I'll, um, you know, just make sure um, lights are turned on, things are set up, everything's where it needs to be. I, I look at my notes and pro presenter, and then I'll run through the sermon in the sanctuary uh, just to say it, speak it out loud in the space and imagine the congregation there, right, as, as I'm preaching. Um, I remember when I was in high school, we had an associate pastor who did that. Um, I was I was around the church campus that Saturday. I think we had come back from a youth retreat or something, and Saturday service was going to start in about two hours. And so I was in the lobby just outside the fellowship hall, and there was a TV that was in the lobby that was videotaping, or that was showing, I should say, what was going on in the fellowship hall. Or I'm sorry, not the fellowship hall, but the gymnasium where the uh, where the contemporary service was held on Saturdays. And I saw him running through his sermon, and you know, nobody was in the room. And I thought, wow, and I guess that's what you should do. And then I, I remember talking to Dick Wills, uh, who was my pastor growing up, and he mentioned that that was always really important, that that you would run through your sermon before you would actually be preaching in front of the congregation. So I figured, hey, if these preachers do it and they're really good, then I definitely need to be doing it. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds, when, when I think about your preaching um, and like how you've picked up things over the years, I mean, Talk about Charlie and Bishop Sue and Will Willimon and Dick Wills and and these people that have helped inspire you, Andy Stanley. Um, how do you take pieces from them, but also kind of maintain yourself? Because it would be really easy to try to emulate somebody else. So how do you how do you learn from somebody else, but also kind of be authentically Chris? That's a good question, and I'm not sure I could really articulate the answer. Um, I think all you can really do is is um is learn and adopt techniques that are helpful but still at the end of the day all you can do is be yourself um i'm reminded of one time when i was at camp there was a i was a counselor at the warren willis camp and we would have preachers who would come every week and they would speak to the campers and there was this one preacher and i never forgot the story he was talking about his call to the ministry and he had been preaching for some time and he had this person at the congregation who came up and said hey, I, I really want to hear you preach one of these days. And he said, what are you talking about? Like, I've been preaching. And he says, no, you really haven't been. Because when I hear you speak, I actually hear the voice of the minister that you're trying to emulate. But I want to hear you. And, you know, that's when he began to really realize that he was trying to be somebody he wasn't, and he needed to be himself. And that's that stuck with me because... You know, especially early on when I started preaching, I was insecure, like a lot of folks are. And you you hear all these great speakers. You're in seminary hearing all these great speakers. And, oh, if, I, if only I could speak like them. God's not asking me to be anybody but Chris Jones. That's all I can be. And um, so I, I can learn from people like Bishop Willimon and Dick Wells and Sue Harper Johnson, Bishop Harper Johnson. Um but all I can be is Chris Jones, oh. and that's okay. That's that's more than okay. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Oh man. Well, Chris, um, are there any final thoughts that you'd give to preachers who are listening, um, who are learning, who are trying to grow and 
Any final thoughts you want to give to them? Preaching is a lot of fun. Have fun with it. I think when you have fun with it and the congregation sees your passion and your excitement for the gospel, that they'll catch on and they'll find that to be inspiring. Um, and uh, I can't imagine doing anything else but being a preacher. It, it scares me, right? I mean, preaching does. It's, it still does um, 10 years after I started doing it. Um, but it's also really exhilarating. And what a privilege that we get to, to speak to God's people and that God uses us. Um, sometimes God works in spite of us to have his message go forward in the world. And that's just really, that's really awesome that we get to be a part of that. And what's really cool is when somebody will come up to me or send me an email or a letter and they'll say, hey, you know what? You were talking about this and, and I decided to do this. I, I remember one time years ago, we were doing a series on um, Christmas movies for Advent, and I preached on Home Alone. And there's a lot of forgiveness in the movie Home Alone because, of course, Kevin is upset with his siblings and his mom. But then also there's the story about old man Marley um, and his son, whom he's estranged from, and his granddaughter. And yet there's forgiveness that happens. And so uh, we talked about forgiveness in the sermon that day. And I had a person who wrote me a letter, and she said, you know, um, when my husband and I heard that sermon, we we were estranged from our daughter, but we reached out to her. And now we're reconciled and we're a family again. And I got that letter. I thought, wow, God, thank you that, you know, you got to use me in some small way to be a part of that. And that's preaching really does have the capacity to, to change lives and to transform stories. Um, which is why I think we're called to take it seriously because people out there, they, they are listening. And so um, take it seriously, have fun with it, and just allow God to move and allow God to speak. Oh, what a, gosh, that's a powerful story. I might steal that and preach on that because uh, that is a <laughs> great story. If you haven't used it, I'm, 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 I will borrow it. Um, that's, that's beautiful. You're welcome, Jim. <laughs> All right, I got one more question, quick question, and then uh, we'll wrap up. Um, what's one good book that you've read in the last year that's helped shape your ministry, your preaching, your leadership? What's one good book you've read that you'd mm -hmm. recommend? Um, I finished a book last year that really inspired that series I mentioned earlier on Faith and Doubt, and it's called The Benefit of the Doubt. And it's by a theologian named Greg Boyd. Um, that was a really good text, The Benefit of the Doubt. And so he really talks about the relationship uh, between faith and doubt. I, I think the subtitle is Embracing Uncertainty in Your Faith or something to that effect. Um, but that that series on faith and doubt, that's probably the, my, my favorite series that I've done um, since I've been a pastor, mainly because it just, it it's, it's such a part of my own story. Like when I was 16 years old and I, you know, I'd grown up in church and I remember I was on a retreat for high school students and I didn't even really want to be there. Um, but I just kind of went to, um, appease my parents. They wanted me to go. And, um, I really wanted to pull away from the church. And so the speaker that night began to say to us, there's something that's holding you back from experiencing the life that God has for you in Christ, whatever that is, write it down. And so without even thinking about it, I wrote down the word doubt. And then I was invited to take what I had written down and nail it to the cross that was in the center of the room. And so I, I got up and I nailed it. 
And I, I just began to say, Christ, listen, I want to be your follower, but I struggle with doubt. So please receive this doubt and still allow me, please, to follow you in the world. And, and God answered that prayer. And so that's just, just always been a big part of my own story. So um, Boyd's book was immensely helpful in that regard. Yeah. yeah. Great boy. I'll write, write that note down. Well, Chris, thank you for coming on and, and thanks for having talking me. and sharing. And this is, this has been really, really helpful just to hear your process. And uh, it's just, I, I've loved it. So thank you. Well, I love being with you, Will. And I, I uh, really respect your ministry, what you're doing in Jacksonville, and anytime, anytime. Thank you for what you're doing to help us as preachers learn and grow and become all that God wants us to be. You're welcome.